Welcome back to Warrior Women Speak. Gloria Allred is a founding partner of Allred, Morocco, and Goldberg. And she is here today with us. And I could not be more honored. Sherry and I asked her a few months ago. She has graciously accepted. She has represented victims and witnesses in cases against Michael Jackson, R. Kelly, Bill Cosby, the, the family of Nicole Simpson uh, Brown, and countless others. And we have so many questions for her. As you know, we talk about trauma, about victims, victimization, re-victimization, and so many other topics. And what she has done for women, for victims, for men and women who are victimized and re-victimized is so trailblazing and so healing and really has changed the world and the law. We wanted to get some input from her. She has received from President Ronald Reagan in 1986 at the White House, uh, the President's Volunteer Action Award for Outstanding Volunteerism for her work on child support. And as I read her memoir, and it is so worthwhile reading and listening to, she didn't receive child support. I didn't receive child support. There's so many, and she is a trailblazer in that. Um, she has received so many awards, including being voted by her peers as one of the best lawyers in America. She's a three-time Emmy nominee for her commentaries on KABC television in Los Angeles, her nationally syndicated television show, We the People with Gloria Allred was nominated in 2012 for the Daytime Emmy Award. We really want you to see uh, on Netflix, uh, seeing Allred, her documentary, which also was, uh, I think it's got five, uh, what is it, the Rotten Tomato Award, which is outstanding. It's not something that you throw a tomato at in disgust. It is something that you <laughs> give those tomatoes because you love it. And we love Gloria Allred, and we love giving her all those tomatoes. She was also in 2021, the recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award from American Lawyer Magazine for her work as a true trailblazer. And she was honored in November 2021 to be one of the rare recipients of the Parisi's Elite Award by Trinity College Dublin Law Society for the advancements she's made for women's rights and civil rights throughout her career. And in October of 2022, she was the recipient of the LGBTQ Lawyers Association of Los Angeles Co-Presidents Award, their highest honor given. Now, she's had her own battle. She's fought the battles of so many others in areas, name it, she's been there. Welcome, Gloria. We are so honored that you are taking the time to be with us today. And one of the things we wanted to start off talking about is that victims, and I think we all agree, need to be given their control and power and voice back in a safe place. They need to be heard. They need to regain their ability and right to make their own decisions and know they matter and that they are justified and that they can demand accountability and that speaking out helps erase their fear. But what happens? When Cosby is released, when Epstein dies, 
my suicide or homicide to have that investigation further. What happens to those victims? What have you seen? And are we a law, a society of injustice or justice? Where are we headed? Well, great question. And first of all, Judge, thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. And thank you, Sherry. Uh, it's terrific. I love the name of your podcast, Warrior Women. And you too certainly are warrior women and trend-setting women as well. If I may, before I answer your question, I'd just like to tweak your introduction just a wee bit okay. because sorry. what the Netflix, it's okay, the Netflix documentary, Seeing All Red, actually received all fresh tomatoes, not rotten tomatoes. Oh, well, uh, rotten tomatoes are good too, aren't they? Well, I don't know, but let's, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I think the fresh tomatoes are what's positive. Rotten is negative and we got the okay. positive. So okay. all good. But anyway, back to your question, which is what happens, you know, when Bill Cosby, the criminal conviction was vacated uh, by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, after two trials and the second one uh, resulting in a criminal conviction. In fact, he was in prison serving a sentence when it was vacated with Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, and of course, I represented many uh, accusers of Bill Cosby and uh, 20 victims of Jeffrey Epstein. Let's go first to the first part of your question having to do with Bill Cosby. Of course, many, many of the accusers were absolutely devastated. Now, I did represent not the victim in the Bill Cosby case in Pennsylvania, but the majority of the prior bad act witnesses, sometimes called Me Too witnesses there, and uh, who testified, and many who didn't. And but would have if they were permitted to do so. In any event, many were very, very upset. They couldn't understand what happened uh, or why that happened. And it was, you know, very upsetting to see Bill Cosby out there with a big smile on his face um, with Jeffrey. So, but what happened after that is I had a civil lawsuit pending against Bill Cosby on behalf of my client, Judy Huff, who alleged that she was 16 years old when she was victimized uh, by Mr. Cosby at the Playboy Mansion in Southern California. We went to trial uh, last June and uh, we were successful. Uh, we prevailed and the jury found that in fact, Mr. Cosby had sexually battered our client uh, when she was 16 and awarded her half a million dollars. But what was so important is that that's now part of his legacy. Yes, he's appealing, but so what? Mm -hmm. uh, the jury found that, in fact, he had, you know, he he had uh, victimized her when she was a, a child. That will always be part of his legacy. That will be on his obituary, uh, probably in the first paragraph. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, who would want that on their legacy? Apparently, he doesn't mind. He thinks it's fine, according to his spokesperson. Uh, he's happy with the verdict. You know, he'll, he'll have to explain that. Uh, uh, so I think many, many of the accusers who, in fact, came to our trial to observe us as we proceeded with our civil case were just absolutely thrilled with the result that the jury awarded us and our client. I as, to Ep as to Mr. Epstein... Uh, as to Mr. Epstein, you probably read recently that uh, I did write a letter to the Inspector General of the Justice Department uh, seeking to know what is the result of their investigation into the conditions that led to 
uh, Mr. Epstein's death, either, you know, either murder or suicide, we don't know. Uh, but um, I mean, a lot of people have different theories about that. Uh, but, you know, former U.S. attorney uh, Barr uh, did say there would be an investigation, but that was three and a half years ago by the Inspector General, and it's never been released. So I wrote the letter uh, and asked for, uh, you know, questions like, when is it going to be released? Um, and so my sense of it is that it's going to be released soon, but whatever it soon means, I don't know. Uh, and it's, you know, because a lot of people still have questions and we would like to see the report. I do think that, I mean, what we do, what I've been practicing for 47 years uh, as a private attorney with my law firm, uh, R.I. Morocco and Goldberg, and we do, you know, we're not uh, therapists or psychologists, but we do feel that our work helps to empower victims, whether it's through a, a confidential settlement of which we've done more than a thousand, and we're constantly doing them, pre-litigation, in other words, without a lawsuit being filed, sometimes after a lawsuit being filed, or whether it's through litigation and up to and through a trial. So for example, we had a case that we went to trial on at the end of 2019 in our law firm for one uh, alleged, for one victim of sexual harassment by a billionaire, Alki David, and uh, the jury came back with a verdict of $58,250,000 for one victim of sexual harassment. And that was affirmed on appeal. And then we had another case against that billionaire a few months earlier for another victim of sexual harassment uh, by the same billionaire. And the jury came back with an award of more than $5 million. So, you know, all I can say is, you know, it's it's very difficult for victims to go through a trial, whether it's criminal or civil. And when they do so, though, and they come out and the jury affirms what they are saying, the jury believes them, uh, it's very empowering for them. It's also very empowering even in a confidential settlement without a trial, because they know they're getting accountability in the confidential settlement. They know they're getting a measure of justice. They know that the accused literally has to pay the consequences of his wrongful acts for them. So I'm very proud of my clients. I'm raising my hand because I just wanted to say one thing. I When I was following you with the Judith Huff case, what I want to say to you is that case was so much bigger than the case that you won. There were survivors. I work with a lot of survivors of childhood sexual abuse. I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And when we talk about the whole thing with Cosby and him being released from prison and the invalidation, what a lot of us then focused on was this trial that you helped to find justice for this woman, but it was like a celebration for so many survivors mm -hmm. around the world. Because when you talk about how the jury believed her and, the, and she was awarded this amount of money, I can tell you that all of us out here who are survivors, we felt validated and affirmed as we listened to your statement. Yeah. I still remember sitting in my room and listening to the press conference that you held after. And it felt like, and I don't know if you could feel this coming through cyberspace, but it was, it was a joyous, it was, it was like a wonderful 
day of victory. And I know judge and I also, we spoke about that. I don't know if you remember, but we actually spoke about that in the beginning of season three. And I just want to say that anytime you, either of you are out there, either whether you're the judge or you're the lawyer and there's a survivor who is heard, there are millions of us out here who are applauding and feeling as though we have found justice through other people. And I just think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad. Thank you for that. And we do, I mean, I do feel that they are teaching moments, you know, what we do and that, you know, it really tells survivors, look, you too have an opportunity to win justice in some way. And so, you know, just have courage and go ahead and, you know, get legal advice and find out what your options are, you know, and the benefits and risks of each option. And then decide what you're going to do because doing nothing is also a choice. Yes. But and you do, know, there are many doing somethings that you can do, but you just have to weigh, you know, the benefits and risks of each option. I think something else that I've heard you say, which I want to highlight because I think it's so important and gets really a bad rap. There's this whole discussion about non-disclosure agreements and mm -hmm. that they should be tossed. And you made a really valid point that if they are tossed, there may not be settlements and money doesn't make people whole. But, and I can tell you from talking to thousands of victims, as you both have, that they would give back every headline, every penny, if the abuse would not have happened. But we value, sadly, uh, money over fixing the problem, apparently. And these non-disclosure agreements, I think you have said, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that those victims need that choice to sign it and to move forward and to have that settlement that they might not otherwise have. And those people who say that those NDAs muzzle and shackle and do all those other things and we shouldn't have them, well, that's their choice to not accept it. But I think everybody needs that choice because when you are assaulted, when you are a victim of any kind of crime, you lose your voice, you lose your choice. And so that's a way of giving them back. It's part of giving them back their voice and choice, isn't it? It definitely is, Judge. And uh, those people that you refer to who criticize it are often called re they're reporters, they're the press. They, they get paid to find out what the stories are and the secrets. Uh, and also in some cases to attempt to buy to encourage victims to violate their settlements. Of course, they're not there uh, if they, after uh, victims do violate their settlements, which can cause them to be subjected to either lawsuits or arbitrations and often have to give back what they got as a settlement because they violated it. Uh, so, but they kind of suggest that somehow encouraging them to violate is a good thing. I, I, I personally, when I sign a settlement, you know, even if somebody releases me later, if I've signed that I'm going to be confidential, my word is good. My signature is good. I will not violate it. Uh, and, I, I, and I'm able to do a lot of settlements with big law firms and against all kinds of predators because they know my word is good because uh, that's my reputation. But having said that, what's important is this. It is a form of accountability. With, as I said, we're a predator. We represent many groups child sexual uh, adult survivors of child sexual abuse we're currently representing groups uh, of students for example at different schools colleges 
universities where groups of adults who were victims of child sexual abuse, and I'm talking about females and males who were victims, um, you know, that were suing and we're looking forward to getting them as much accountability as possible, even years later. I mean, you talk about, uh, Sherry, you talked about our Bill Cosby case. That happened to her in the 70s. Yeah. We think we may have been the oldest case ever to go to trial in the sense that we didn't file it in the 70s. We filed it under law, which expanded the statute of limitations, which, of course, is the arbitrary time period set by law. That's what a statute of limitations is. And uh, after, you know, after it was expanded, we were able to sue. And so that should be encouraging to a lot of victims that that is possible. But, you know, nobody holds a gun. To, uh, oh, I want to say there's a big exception that everybody should know about for confidential settlements, which is no confidential settlement can prohibit a victim who's accepted a confidential settlement from going to police, to testifying in a criminal case if the district attorney decides to charge the uh, accused. Uh, even if there is a settlement, she can always do that or he can always do it, the victim can. So it's just that, for example, in Weinstein cases or other cases, they didn't do it. You know, But no, there can't be compelled to go to the police, they shouldn't be. Because, you know, Sherry, as you emphasized, and I know Rose, uh, I should say Judge, uh, Rose, as you've emphasized in the past, you know, it is we have to support the victim's choice, what they want to do. So if they didn't want to go to the police and be public, they don't have to be. But right. if they wanted to be, they could still do that, even if they've accepted a confidential settlement. That is something that reporters almost never report. I, but it's true. I think what you're saying is so important because when you talk about the accountability factor, this is something that I talk with people about every day and what accountability means to one survivor may be very different than what it means to somebody else. So when I, when I think about some of the cases that you've led and the work that you're doing over there, judge, I feel like it's so important for survivors to know what their rights are and what their choices are and to be able to make choices based on what works for them and what is going to make them feel at peace. I can tell you as somebody who never litigated, I'll never have my day in court, but for me, justice is not about going in court and confronting my perpetrator. For me, justice is about being alive, living a life that's about choices and being able to talk to other women and men who've been abused as children and let them know there are many things that you and we and us can do to give you and help you find the accountability that you need. And here's the way, here are your choices. I think we're getting to a place in the world now, or at least in our country, where there's more opportunity to seek justice with the statute of limitations being lifted in many states. And I think we, as a society, we need both of you to continue to educate and let the public know what their rights are, because a lot of times survivors are afraid they're afraid to ask, they're afraid to speak. So I think we need to really be talking much more about that. And I value and appreciate that in both of you. Well, I always say that, uh, you know, fear is the weapon that keeps, you know, victims essentially paralyzed and, you know, subordinated and denied their rights. So that's why when I tell people who contact me what their rights are, it's empowering. 
And, you know, it's not that there is no fear, but they feel more empowered and they become, you know, they become more courageous in terms of overcoming, well, I would say working through the fear to get to the result. And the result generally is that they become empowered. It is not just about, you know, whether I got them 500,000 or a million dollars or whatever it is. It's about they become transformed in the process of working through, knowing they're not alone, knowing they've got support going through this. They're not going through it alone. They've got people who know how to handle that and how to work with them so that, you know, there's a team working for them and with them. I think, Gloria, you mentioned uh, other acts. It's really interesting because once Michigan got other acts, that really flipped the script and we saw more convictions with juries and more mm -hmm. and bigger settlements in civil cases as well. Uh, what do you think about two things? One is you talk about fear about bystanders being charged even with the misdemeanor for failure to report when they watch something because that's really a huge issue. And also I personally have an issue when I see and hear for example, and she knows I use this as an example because I'm trying to change the several laws here, but one of them is, you know, Trinae Gonzer in the Nasser case, she was assaulted over 800 times, like 849 times. How many charges were there? One. Um, when prosecutors pick and choose so they can win, it really re-victimizes victims because they're not acknowledging each and every time there is evidence. The, the victim is the evidence. And of course, some people never, as you said, go to the criminal route, but some people also never go the civil route. Some do both, but yes. it doesn't really matter what route we should acknowledge each and every time there is a crime against a human and let a jury decide. Is it credible? Is it incredible? Because that sends a message to predators. Well, I totally agree. And I also think that persons who are victims should have their voice at sentencing. I'm involved in a very important issue right now in California on that issue. For I represented three uh, accusers in the recent Weinstein criminal case in California, in LA. Uh, and as to the three, there were two who had charges uh, for uh, placed for them by the prosecutor. Uh, one was Jane Doe number two, and he was charged with sexual battery for her. The jury, after hearing her testimony and the evidence, did not convict, but came, but had there was a mistrial. They had voted 10 in favor of conviction, two against. And uh, as to Jane Doe 5, the grand jury, she testified before. And anyway, for reasons beyond her control, she did not testify at the trial, but she had testified the grand jury, and there were in, a number of charges filed as a result of her testimony. And finally, there was a Me Too witness uh, in, in, and she testified, Natasia M. And so when it came down to the sentencing, all of them wanted to be able to speak. And I asked the judge for them if they could speak. In our, We have something very special in our California constitution. We have something called victim's rights, also known as Marcy's law. And it clearly says a victim is a person who suffered physical, emotional, or financial harm. It doesn't say anything about a victim is only a victim if there's been a conviction. 
It also says that a victim has a right to speak at all proceedings, and specifically it says the victim can speak at the sentencing. The judge did not allow any of any person, even if they testified, to speak at the sentencing unless it was the person for whom there was a conviction, which is Jane Doe number one. I didn't represent her. She was the only one allowed. Have, even the governor's wife who testified, I didn't represent her, but she was, I think, Jane Doe number five. Uh, she was not allowed to give a victim impact statement at the sentencing. In any event, I appealed from that decision of the judge the Court of Appeals, we have, it's called a petition for mandamus in, in California, but that just means that, you know, essentially we, we sought to reverse the court's ruling. And the Court of Appeals didn't, didn't take it, didn't decide to hear the case. Now I've appealed, well, it's called a petition for mandamus up to the California Supreme Court. That's our last place we can go on this case. And we can't go through what's called you know, a, a regular appeal doesn't allow, it's not allowed in California for a victim. It is for a defendant. That's something different. But so we are just waiting. It's been up there now for about 11 days with the California Supreme Court. And, you know, we're just hoping that the Supreme Court's going to decide this issue. Mm. It couldn't be clearer in the California Constitution yes. what, what, what was said. But if victims can't enforce that, what's the point of having it in the Constitution? And I know you, too, are about victims being able to have a voice. So it's a very important decision they're going to make. It is. I always let everyone speak, and I have taken a lot of crap for it. I recently asked the legislator, please amend the Crime Victims' Rights Act to say anyone affected by the crime gets to speak. I mean, sadly... Yeah don't want to do their jobs if they don't want to do their jobs and sit in the people's court they don't own the courtroom then they ought to go pour coffee and give the seat to someone who <laughs> wants to do their damn job because it's part of healing and i watch it every day that speaking out it catapults their healing and yes. we learn so much about what wasn't done what was done wrong what was done right it's a teachable moment for us all yes and it's, it is it is it's our right here and here we have it, the Constitution. It's not just a statute, not just right. the law. Couldn't be clearer. It's called Article 1, Section 28 of our California Constitution. So we'll see. Does it mean what it say? And does it say and does it say what it means? I mean, I don't know how it could be clearer, but it, of course we know the law is what the judges say it is. Uh, and so we'll have to find out what they say or whether they're just not going to hear it at all. It's I mean, interesting because I was told by other judges, male, not by any females, that I didn't, from Michigan, where that's the way I read it, doesn't say I can't do that. But anyway, I was told that I don't deserve to sit on the bench because I did that. And I was told by others, now we can't do less than you. And I've taken just a lot of crap for it. Thankfully, most people have said, I'm looking at what you're doing and how it's impacted people and I'm going to try to do it or I'm looking yeah. at it. But, you know, I don't understand how it's not readily acceptable. And I know Sherry and I, and I know she's going to jump in here right now, but she, we've talked about it so much about how it helps people in therapy, in their lives. And just, I mean, isn't that what we're all doing? Why we're all here? Well, and you know what? I'm going to say this. I know we're going to be wrapping up, but I did want to say this. People may be 
people may not agree with this, but I actually think denying victims of the right to speak is also a disservice to the defendant. There are people in this world who commit acts of violence, who commit sexual crimes, and when they are in the company of their victims and listening to what the impact has been on the victim, we may actually be able to reach, maybe not a lot of the defendants, but I do feel like there are defendants out there who may be able to take in some of what has been, what he or she has done and maybe be able to rehabilitate or make a change in that in his or her own life as well. While I don't know many sex offenders that that mm-hmm. will change, I do know that it does change in other kinds of crimes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have had defendants say, I didn't know I hurt you that way. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about it. Not everybody's raised the same, but that conversation mm-hmm. in the courtroom catapults healing, not just with defendant and victim, but with the community, with the families. And it's just really important for both sides. I don't understand how any state, any, um, anyone could be a roadblock to that. And certainly judges, it's our obligation to listen. Mm -hmm. And yes, and that's the key judge is that they should, you know, allow the, the persons who allege their victims. And obviously the prosecutor, by the way, also argued that they should be able to give a victim impact statement. Uh, but so, you know, we're on the same page so forth, you know, on that. But yes, uh, I mean, the judge can then decide to take it into account or not to take it into account, but they should be allowed to speak. That's right. the point. And, and the point also is that judges are, you know, I was a practitioner and feel like I did it all, jack of all trades. And of course I still learn things in the law. We learn things every day, at least I do. And um, I know how to filter it out. I know how to filter out what I hear that should be considered Mm -hmm. and what I can filter out, you know, that I shouldn't consider, but the healing impact is so worthwhile. I don't mind listening to the, the stuff I should listen to and the stuff that just comes in anyway. And that happens in a trial too. I have to say jury disregard this or that, you know, overruled, whatever it is, um, sustained, uh, you know, uh, like all of those things. And so um, testimony or victim statements is not any different than what we do at trial. We, we just consider it differently. So um, I, I know we have to... Uh, let you go because I could talk to you for days, mm-hmm. but I really wanted to thank you for the footsteps that you have planted for so many for the protection of thank you. rights of my myself, my grandchildren, my children, our future generations. Uh, you and are the glorious dynam of the legal world. And I think that, you know, Sherry, uh, could not do her job as well as she does without you being such a good advocate in the courtroom. I mean, I would say, I think, you know, I adore you, even though we, we crossed paths many years ago, I would say that it was in my experience of sitting with you in a courtroom during the Cosby trial, and even just being in your presence and talking to many of your former clients the work that you've done and the work that so many of these other women have done in terms of coming forward is part of why I'm doing what I'm doing today. So I feel honored and so grateful to all the work that you do. 
and all of the messages of hope and empowerment that you continue to spread. I hope that I can do what you both have been doing my entire life. I never plan on retiring and I never plan on stopping. And it's partly because of people like both of you that make me want to just get out in that world and never, never shut up ever again. Well, thank you so much. I always think that it's important for persons who are victims to get therapy from a really good therapist like you are, Sherry, as opposed to just any therapist. Or some people never go to a therapist for many reasons. And, you know, Judge, thank you very much for everything you did in the Nassar case and for being brave and doing what you did and letting, uh, you know, victims be heard. So, well, you know, if they're criticizing you, you must have done something important, is what I believe. <laughs> so anyway, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure being with both of you today and keep up the good work and let's talk again in the future. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was terrific. Sherry, we have got, this is our last show for this third season. We're going to start our fourth one, what, in uh, September, I think. And so we both are on to a lot of work between now and then. So for those of you who are listening to us regularly, we thank you. We have a lot of back episodes, so catch up. If you haven't listened to all of them, you do have some listening to do. And then we're going to be back in September. That was amazing. Amazing. She's just a treasure. I love her. I just want to wrap my arms around that woman and just pick her up and swing her around. And um, we're very lucky that we have that opportunity to have her join us. And gift of a lifetime. Yeah. And I'm definitely looking forward to coming back and sharing more with people about all the fun stuff that you and I are working on and hoping that everybody has a great spring and summer and just keep keep on at it keep on warrioring on out there and stay connected to your message and your the importance of who you are because that's what's going to make a difference keep your power your voice your authenticity and we will see you in a few months stay safe bye